Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a lot of games to talk about here ahead of us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Very top of the show, we're going to chat with Ben Fennell and Saturday Scotting. We're going to take a look uh, around the college football landscape. We've got some declarations to talk about from the junior class. We've got some matchups to watch here for this weekend. We've got mock drafts, a lot to cover here at the top of the show in Saturday Scouting. After that, I get into an interview that I did with the Senior Bowl's executive director, and that's Jim Nagy. Always great to have Jim on the show. Uh, longtime NFL scout, now in his third year running the Senior Bowl, and obviously a little bit of a unique year, right? So we're going to talk to, with Jim about the process and some of the players that have already pledged to go down to Mobile in January. So we'll talk all about that with Jim. And then after that, we wrap it up with Ross Tucker and Pick 6. A lot to cover. Always a lot of fun with Ross, and we'll do all that at the end of the show. Before we get things started, though, best way to throw us your support. Go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, We'll answer it. Leave us a mock draft. We'll break it all down. We've done mock drafts over the last couple of weeks from you guys at home. It's been a lot of fun. So send us your mock drafts, and we'll uh, we'll rip it apart and tell you what we like, too. So if you go on uh, to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Uh, we will take care of you from there. All right, let's get this show started. Let's kick things off with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's kick things off as we always do here with Saturday Scouting and Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, we've got some uh, noteworthy things to hit on over the last couple of days since you and I last spoke uh, with Dane Brugler. First off, um, a bunch of games, once again, postponed or canceled due to COVID-19. Uh, I think that's just going to be a fact of life here uh, in college football this season, unfortunately. But uh, we did have a couple of declarations over the last couple of days. Uh, we'll look at the, the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, they're running back, Javian Hawkins, uh, declared for the draft. I have not done a deep dive on Hawkins yet. Uh, I have watched the, watched Louisville a couple times this year, especially early in the season. Seems like an explosive guy who's got the ability to make some big plays. But again, I have not done the deep dive on him. Yeah, I haven't either. I think he's only a junior. Ran for 1,500 yards last year. He's like 5'9", 190. Yep. Bit of an undersized satellite back. But he has several explosive home run runs. So I yeah. think he's got the uh, the breakaway speed. He's got some juice you know, between the tackles, some shiftiness in the open field. Excited to dive into him. So the, the other uh, big tandem that declared were the two South Carolina corners. And I have done deep dives on both. You have done deep dives on both, I believe. Uh, J.C. Horn and Israel Mukawamu. So uh, let's talk about both these guys. J.C. Horn, 6'1", 205. He was one of my favorite corners that I studied over the summer. I thought that he was a, a definite NFL starter. He is the son of Joe Horn, um, you know, a four-time Pro Bowl wide receiver uh, down there with the Saints. But uh, J.C. Horn, really talented player, really fun player, had a couple of picks a couple of weeks ago so we spotlighted him I think he got Dane's game ball that week and then uh, Mukawamu 6'4 205 so uh, really intriguing body type had a bunch of picks last year as well Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on the South Carolina duo 
Yeah, two interesting uh, junior defensive backs. J.C. Horn, I think, is the third best press corner after Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farrelly at Virginia yeah. Tech. I think he's right in that ballpark there and could squeeze into the back half of round one, very much like the way we saw, you know, C.J. Henderson kind of shoot up last year. He could be right in that ballpark. And uh, Mukawamu, he really got on the map last year with his three interceptions and their upset number one Georgia. He's a six-four and every bit of six-four cornerback. That's yeah. also spent some time at safety. I currently have him in the safety category just based off his size. And he's not the twitchiest guy, obviously being 6'4", 200 pounds. You don't doesn't come with a lot of twitch. But um, he's a guy that I think uh, his position at the next level is still being sorted through. Yeah, he'll be a 21-year-old rookie. Actually, both these guys will be a 21-year-old 21-year-old rookie. So two really young players. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm excited about both because I, I think they're both really physical. I think they've got some position versatility. You mentioned Mukawamu bounced between corner and safety. Uh, J.C. Horn not only lined up at both outside corner spots, but would slide into the slot as well in their sub packages down there in South Carolina. So uh, he's got some positional versatility as well that will intrigue a lot of people, especially in today's NFL. So uh, excited to see both these guys uh, enter the draft, excited to do deeper dives on both of them moving forward. That being said, let's get into some of these matchups. We, we've got some good ones here uh, this week. I'll let you kick things off. What's your first uh, one-on-one matchup you want to hit on? Well, I'm excited to see a, a battle of top 10 teams, and that's Ohio State and Indiana. And that's, yeah. uh, I want to see Sean Wade, you know, perennial kind of first round defensive back projection uh, at Ohio State against a receiver, Mr. Elias D'Angelo Fillier. He goes by the name WAP uh, out on the streets, his nickname for his love of Whoppers. He cooked Sean Wade a couple times last year, but didn't get great throws from the quarterback. I want to see if they get matched up and maybe Fillier can take him down the field. Wade's a guy that I think is struggling with his turn and run and really questioning his long speed. Fillier is a guy that has explosive speed, can take you down the field. He led the Big Ten in yards after catch as well last year, so he's a guy they like to get in space and get the ball in his hands. Kind of an interesting matchup. I don't think people are really realizing how many NFL prospects are on this Indiana Hoosiers team. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about this matchup with Fillier in particular uh, a little bit later in the show as well. I'm excited uh, to see what Indiana can do. Obviously, you know, I think they're, they've become kind of a media darling, got, coming out of nowhere. Uh, they get the big last-second win against Penn State in week one, but they've done nothing but win since as well. So I'm excited to see uh, what kind of fight they can put up against Ohio State. Obviously, just a juggernaut with what they've done so far this season. Uh, I'm going to go down to the SEC. Kentucky? versus Alabama. And Ben, you know, it, it pained me to steal the Kentucky offensive line from you, but looking at Drake Jackson, the center, uh, he is a senior, 6'2", 310. I studied him over the summer, and I'm excited to see him in this matchup because you look at the Alabama defensive tackles. Uh, they've got some young players there. Uh, DJ Dale is a guy that I'm excited about moving forward, but uh, Christian Barmore is a guy we highlighted a lot over the summer. And uh, from what I understand, I have not studied, but from what I understand, and you, uh, you can kind of uh, support this, he has not played particularly well so far this season, or at least the play has been a little bit up and down. But Drake Jackson, Really good snap to block quickness. I really like the way he gets into defenders quickly, plays with natural pad level and bend. Uh, he's just a grappler. He's always working to gain uh, leverage with his hands. He's a really good run blocker. Uh, he's quick enough to get up to the second level and work against linebackers as well. So, you know, Drake Jackson against Dylan Moses uh, could be interesting in this game, you know, up in space. But uh, interesting to see Drake Jackson against this Alabama front. This will be one that when I go back to study, not just Jackson, but the rest of this Kentucky offensive line, I'll be sure to look at him against this Alabama front seven. Yeah, he's a combo blocking savant. He's really good at finding and locating those blockers and linebackers on the second level, knowing just enough how to help out his his guards to the left and right of him on double teams and then when to release up to that second level. 
uh, really fun player there. Also, keep an eye out for their right tackle, Darian Kennard. It's like six yep. five, three forty. I'm telling you, if he puts on a, a you know a, a shutdown performance against the Alabama Crimson Tide and some of those explosive edge rushers, young edge rushers too, there's some people that think Kennard is a first round NFL type of talent. Mm. And when you really watch his tape, you could see it on a down to down basis. He's massive. He's strong. He's athletic. Absolute mauler. But we're going to go over to the Big Ten here. Excuse me, the Big Twelve. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. A little yep. rivalry weekend here. Oklahoma pass rushers, Ronnie Perkins and Nick Benito. Ronnie Perkins had 11 pressures against Kansas. Benito had eight pressures. They each had two sacks. That's going to go up against Oklahoma State's offensive line. Right tackle Tevin Jenkins on his way to the Senior Bowl. Seems to be a day two tackle projection for the next level. And then Josh Sills, who is a West Virginia grad transfer, played a lot of ball for West Virginia in the Big 12, came over to Oklahoma State as a grad transfer, played the first four games at left guard, Last two games, Fran, slid over to left tackle. I'd never done that before. And let me tell you, it didn't look good. So I'm interested <laughs> to see where that's going to go in the course of this week, if they're going to give them that third game at left tackle. If so, it could be uh, feasting for that Oklahoma uh, pass rush, which Benito has one of the best first steps in college football. Mm. Ronnie Perkins missed a couple games, but he's really hitting his stride as well. Yeah, I studied Perkins over the summer, and he has all kinds of twitched up. He can get off the ball for sure uh, and threaten edges. And to me, uh, that just takes me right into my next matchup, which will be in the Big Ten in the trenches. And that's looking at Penn State-Iowa. You know, really one of the, the bright spots of this Penn State team right now is still winless uh, at this point in the college football season is that pass rush duo. You look at Shaka Tony, the senior, who is headed to Mobile to the Senior Bowl. Jason Owe, who is just oozing dripping with potential um you know showed it in flashes last year as a backup now as a full-time starter it's impossible to watch penn state and not see jason Oway making plays off the corner and i think when you look ultimately uh at this matchup against iowa that left tackle Eric jackson this is going to be the game that everybody's looking at with jackson you know i think he's got that ability uh to to maul people to push people around but can he get out of a stance and defend the corner against explosive rushers this will be the one that everybody goes back and looks all right how did he fare against that Penn State duo? I'm excited to see Alaric Jackson against uh, Shaka Tony and Jason Owe. And I said Nick Benito had one of the best first steps in college football because Shaka Tony, I think, has the best first step, who also on his way to the Senior Bowl and one of the, the best high side speed rushers in college football. And he knows how to use that speed, set it up, and then work in the counter moves, the inside moves, the spin moves underneath. One of the loosest, most exciting pass rushers in the country. So let's go to our mock draft roundup here. And we're going to take a look at a mock draft that was just posted this week. And we're going to go to a friend of the podcast, Matt Williamson, uh, who does a great job for Pro Football Network, has the Eagles picking at 19 overall. It seems like everybody's got the Eagles picking at 19 overall. Uh, let's look at the five picks before the Eagles. At 14, he's got the Minnesota Vikings taking that Penn State defensive end, Jason Owe. I think he makes a lot of sense up there uh, for Mike Zimmer, if Mike Zimmer is still the coach there. Uh, and then 15, the Patriots taking quarterback Zach Wilson out of BYU. 16 overall, the Chicago Bears taking uh, Northwestern's Rashawn Slater. Uh, the Cleveland Browns at 17 taking Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. And then at 18, the Tennessee Titans taking another Alabama wide receiver in Jalen Waddle. Ben, uh, what's your big takeaway there? A couple interesting things. You know, I, uh, Rashawn Slater to see there at 16th overall. I think that's the third Lyman off the board after Sewell and Samuel Cosme there. Uh, Rashawn Slater is kind of flirting there in that next mix, whether it's going to be him or Eichenberg or Alex Leatherwood. Interested to see uh, if Matt thinks he's going to slide into guard at the next level or if he's going to hang out and be a, a, be a left tackle, which he's yep. shown in the Big Ten to, to handle the Chase Youngs of the world and NFL caliber edge rushers. 
And then another mock draft scene, Devontae Smith back ahead of Jalen Waddle. It seems yeah. like they keep going back and forth in everybody's rankings and projections uh, in 2020. Yeah, it'll be a, certainly an interesting one. I think that the, the fit of Devontae Smith with the Browns is interesting, too, because I feel like they've got a couple guys that kind of fit that. We just had a really interesting discussion about Rashard Higgins over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and how you know guys with that skill set – what? How much do they mean to us to a scheme like the Browns, where everything is well defined, half field reads, off play action boot? Uh, you know, do you need that crafty route runner as much as the speedster? Like, I, I wonder what would Jalen Waddle do in that kind of scheme versus Devonte Smith? I think it's an interesting kind of discussion, and one I'm sure the Cleveland Browns will be having uh, honestly once we get uh, to April. All right, let's get to the next five here. The five picks. After the Eagles, 20th overall, the Arizona Cardinals taking defensive tackle Christian Barmore from Alabama. 21, the Jets getting a running back in Clemson's Travis Etienne. 22, the Dolphins taking TCU safety Trevon Morig. 23, the Indianapolis Colts taking wide receiver Rondell Moore. And then 24th overall, the Baltimore Ravens taking Ohio State guard Wyatt Davis. Ben, what's your big takeaway there? My big takeaway is seeing a couple AFC East teams picking in the 20s here. We haven't seen that in uh, some years. I'm not That's sure right. if this is, this is trade capital or whatnot, how they ended up here. But Wyatt Davis looks like he's the fourth offensive lineman off the board. Deep tackle class, kind of light in interior. I wonder if that pushes up some of those interior guys, maybe that the uh, the talent drop-off on day two is much larger. Christian Barmore, only interior defensive lineman in the entire round one. Hmm. Seems like that's the way it's trending. Could trend even further to have no interior defensive tackles in round one, which personally I think that's the way it's trending. And I would hate to see, for the sake of the NFL, Rondell Moore plugged in that Colts offense. Another yeah. weapon. The big question is, who's the quarterback position of the future after Phillip Rivers? We got the coach. We got the O-line. We have tons of weapons in Paris Campbell and Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack and all these guys left and right on that offense. Add in Rondell Moore. Man, they are quarterback position away from being a dominant team for the next 10 years. I'm just thinking of like a, a mesh concept from the Colts, right? With whoever's a quarterback, <laughs> but you've got Paris Campbell and Rondell Moore running shallow crosses. You've got Michael Pittman running a post, and you've got Naheem Hines uh, running the wheel route. It's like, oh, let's like, put T.Y. Hilton on the deep post. Yeah, there. right. Like, I don't know. What, 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 what are you doing right now? That's subtly a, you know, a Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs style of like weapons at, yeah. at you know, uh, an offense's disposal. Just I want to know who's going to pull the trigger at the quarterback position. Yeah. It's certainly a lot of speed, that's for sure. Um, yeah, there, there are a few picks there, there that certainly uh, kind of catch my eye. The Jets taking a running back in round one, even though it's their sec- obviously it's their second first round pick. But you pair Travis Etienne with uh, you know with the quarterback Trevor Lawrence. You know, I think that you can make that argument. Uh, I don't know if you would necessarily want to spend that that first round pick on a running back just at the stage of development that the Jets are going to be at right now. But uh, I get the argument there with pairing Etienne. I think the backfield chemistry having you know the former college teammates back together in New York. You know, that's that's an uh, another element to it no question all right let's get to the eagles pick here and this is going to be a familiar name because he is the hottest name to the eagles in pretty much every mock draft and that's notre dame's jeremiah owusu koromoa uh here's the blurb from matt despite linebacker being a glaring need for the eagles in recent seasons they have not used a first round pick on the position since marcus smith was the 26th overall pick of the 2014 draft and keep this is a side note for me keep in mind marcus smith was an edge rusher, an outside linebacker uh so not even true off ball um but all that changes in this first round mock draft with the Eagles selecting an ascending star, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, an incredible athlete. Owusu-Koromoa fits the profile that defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz looks for when compiling his defensive roster. His athleticism shows up on film, where he is consistently a disruptive force, whether that's at the line of scrimmage or in coverage. His stock has risen dramatically as part of Notre Dame's unbeaten season and transitioned to the ACC, leading the team in tackles, tackles for loss, and 
was big in the Fighting Irish statement win over Clemson. So, uh, Ben, you and I have talked about Jeremiah Wusukormo a lot over the course of the last month and change. We've talked about his fit with the Eagles. We talked about the value in the mid-first round. So, all I'm going to ask you here with this one, do you feel that the narrative surrounding Isaiah Simmons, you know, because obviously we're not going to say this is going to impact NFL teams because they're going to make their decision regardless. But do you feel like the narrative surrounding Isaiah Simmons and uh, kind of like the, the inconsistency and just like the lack thereof of his production in Arizona is going to impact the narrative at all with Jeremiah Usukormo? Or do you feel like, hey, like they're going to look at this guy and just kind of project him moving forward? There have been enough guys, you know, Kyle Duggar starting to come into his own in New England. Jeremy Chin making plays down in Carolina. Those kind of guys. That's what I was about to say. I was like, somebody point to the uh, buyer beware of Isaiah Simmons, but you could look to Jeremy Chin and say, well, maybe that's the style of player we're getting in Osa Kormoa. But I see he hasn't listed at linebacker. I think the positional designation is really interesting and undefined still. Interested to see where he's going to line up at, like, you know, things like the combine that really kind of start to uh, solidify where the NFL views and projects you at the next level. I think he's a safety. And when you envision him in this Eagles defense with Jim Schwartz, put him right into that Malcolm Jenkins role, that big safety, most often down in the box, down in the alleys, guarding tight ends, inserting the run, blitzing, but not a true base linebacker. And I'm not willing to, we talk about this a lot, to put these oversized safety hybrid players as a catch-all as the Will linebacker. And we've seen that blow up in the NFL, whether it's 4-4 linebackers, Darren Lee, or other examples around the league. I think there's a spot for what he does in the NFL as that safety position, that hybrid outside linebacker. He's going to play in the alley. He's going to be a blitzer. He's going to be an explosive playmaker in the middle of the defense. And that's okay. That's a safety position, in my opinion. And I think he fits seamlessly into what Malcolm Jenkins did playing over a a thousand snaps for six years for Jim Schwartz. He's certainly got a different body type than Isaiah Simmons, but his body type to Kyle Duggar, I think that the, it's a, an easy translation, honestly. It's, it's very, very similar in terms of the way uh, those guys are built. Jeremy Chin, a little bit taller and longer, but uh, yeah. Kyle Duggar is, is built kind of similar to Chin and uh, Simmons uh, had some had some length, had some long yeah. limbs, so much, much more upright for just from a fan's perspective. Koromoa, much more of a uh, mostly a running back body. He's got a big chest, rocked up core. Not that he has short limbs, but he's more of a, a core body. I think he's yep. a little thicker uh, in the chest and the butt. Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of paint that visual. Let's get to the last segment here uh, in this uh, in this part of Saturday scouting. We're going to go under the hood. The position we're going to pick this week. X receiver. Now, we could talk about receivers in general. I think we've talked about slot receiver in the past, I believe. Uh, But we're going to take a look at X receiver. Now, let me just start the conversation off this way. And you tell me if you disagree. Obviously, some teams are every offense is a little bit different. But I feel like in today's NFL, the delineation between X and Z and slot, it's much more blurred than it was 5, 10, you know, 15, certainly 15 years ago. It used to be that everybody, hey, you were the X receiver. You were the Z. You were the slot. That was it. Now, everybody kind of lines up everywhere. It does change from team to team, and the amount that you play at a certain spot will certainly, you know, will certainly matter. But overall, with what we're looking from the guy that's going to play the majority of snaps at the X receiver position, Ben, I guess before we start, if you could just quickly, what is the X receiver? Just to, if you could spell that out for the listeners. Well, the X receiver formationally is the one that lines up opposite of the tight end, opposite of the formational strength of the offense. So when you go X, Y, and Z, the Y is the tight end. The Z is typically the flanker off the ball lined up with the tight end. So that X receiver traditionally is on the line of scrimmage and in a 
on the weak side and isolation side of the of the formation. Now, obviously, the NFL tons of two by two sets, tons of three by ones. You know, we're moving guys around now. The yep. X isn't the true X. So, if you're the X on paper coming off the sideline, it's still a you know where where can you line up type of assessment. I don't think it's like you were saying before. It's not as uh, cut and dry as it was in the nineties. Exactly. So uh, with that being said, let's now get into the traits that we, you and I value most at the X receiver spot. What is your number one uh, skill set that you're looking for? Well, because uh, formationally that X receiver is on the line of scrimmage, so that means you're traditionally not being used with any sort of motion or anything like that, you have to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. Yep. And that's beating press coverage. You have to be able to get off the line of scrimmage first and foremost. You, that's the position that sees press coverage the most because you're on the line of scrimmage. You're not uh, in a stack set, stack set or uh, off the line, like in a slot or a flanker, where it gives you an extra yard to kind of release or be hidden. So you have to be able to get off the line of scrimmage. You have to be able to beat press coverage. And there's a variety of traits that come with beating press coverage, but just to be all encapsulating, you have to be able to get off the line. So I, I love talking with former receivers about this topic, about beating press coverage, because all these guys do it differently. And if you're a smaller guy, you, you know, it's a little bit easier. If you're a bigger guy, it can be a little bit harder. I've, I know I've asked Mike Quick. I've asked uh, you know, just lots of receivers that I've talked to. In fact, I talked with um, former Pro Bowl wide receiver Amani Toomer last year down at the Shrine Bowl. And I asked him, this was an interview that was on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast this offseason. I said, what is it like to get off press? What are, you, what are the coaching points for you? And he said, look, it's actually just what I just said. For bigger receivers, that's usually their struggle, to get off the line quickly. You want to come off the jam with an advantage. You, would, you don't want to be even. You don't want to be behind. You want them to be actively catching up. So you've got to gain ground quickly. For quicker guys, that can be easy. For bigger guys, that can be a little bit more difficult. There's hundreds of ways to get off the line of scrimmage. It's a wide receiver's job to figure out which way works for them. And, and me personally – I like equating it to a pass rusher. And we've had this discussion before equating uh, pass rushers to receivers and defensive backs to offensive linemen in terms of their body movements and their movement patterns. I think when you look at Amani Toomer, he told me, he was like, look, I liked using my hands, but I didn't try to think about it too much. If a DB reacted one way, I knew how to respond without thinking. It was just a natural reaction. We talk about that all the time with pass rushers. You don't want them to be thinking as they're gaining ground, as they're using their hands to be able to attack the offensive tackle for a receiver. Look, they're going to try and do a lot of different ways. I remember talking about this with uh, Eagles legend Mike Quick. I said, what's more important than beating press, your feet or your hands? And he said, every day I'll take a guy with good feet because you can coach up hands. And, and to Amani's point, there are lots of different ways to win with your hands. But you need the feet. The feet have to be able to take you where you want to go. So I think when you're looking at pre beating the jam, beating a press corner, yeah, that, that was actually number two for me. Um, but for everything we just talked about, my number one was actually winning one-on-one. -on -one. You know, because you talk about, you know, if you're the backside receiver to a three-by-one set, often the X receiver is going to be running what's called an isolation route. He's going to be running a deep post. He's going to be running a comeback. He's going to be running something where you've got to get open. So uh, running a backside slant, right? Like you can't play in the NFL if you can't win on a slant. So no matter what way that is, if you are going to win with size, if you're going to win with quickness, with technique, with long speed, I need you to be able to win one-on-one -on -one as an X receiver because very often you're going to be running a one-on-one -on -one route. So uh, that's the, the number one thing for me. Number two was beating press coverage. Uh, what was your number two? 
Yeah, right in there, one-on-one route, one, yep. route running. You know, you have to be able to catch a slant and get yourself open on those third and mediums, third and longs, and isolation routes are the opposite of combination routes, which typically have other routes tied into the progression or tied into the concept. So an isolation route is just that. You're naked. You're on your own. You have to win for yourself. You have to get open. So one-on-one route running, there's a lot that goes into that. Obviously, release and route stem and getting in and out of breaks and catching the football and attacking leverage and everything that goes into route running, you know, without getting too into the nuts and bolts. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to win for yourself. So when you're projecting at the next level, is this guy an X? Think about how he's using college. How often is he given help to get open, whether in the bunch, in the slot, in motion, used in route combinations. And that stuff's all good. And using those schemes and schematic elements to get guys open is part of the name of the game. But when projecting to say, is he an X at the next level? How is he used in college? Is he getting himself open on third and five? Is he catching a red zone fade in a one-on-one situation? Those are your X receivers. So not to say the other guys can't do it, Yep. but when you're projecting and saying, can he do this at the next level, there's certain nuanced skill sets that that, that uh, encompasses. I love that. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. So uh, for my third one, to me, it's obviously it- – when you're playing receiver, no matter what position it is, it comes down to catching the football. And we get into the conversation all the time about the difference between hands and ball skills. Drops very often, but not, not all the time, but very often are an issue with hands. And you can coach that up. You can get a guy in the jugs machine. You can fix hands. But one of the things in that discussion, I remember with Amani Toomer, he said, look, there are two things you can't coach. You can't coach speed and you can't coach ball skills, like the body control, the balance, the ability to play uh, play the ball in the air. I remember talking with Michigan offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis uh, a couple of years ago here on the podcast. And, you know, he, he said a line that I love that stuck with me. A five foot nine receiver with elite ball skills plays like he's over six foot. A six foot four receiver with poor ball skills plays like he's under six foot. You know, that, that just goes to the way that you address the football. And depending on what your skill set is, that those ball skills are going to show up in a number of ways. If you are a speed threat, I need you to be able to track the football. We talk about this. We talked about, you know, with all kinds of speed receivers. I need you to, I need to be able to see you track the ball over the shoulder. That allows you to finish in the area that you're strong, right? If you are a jump ball guy, if you are a big-bodied receiver, I need you to be really good in those situations, addressing the ball in the air, positioning your body, understanding how to keep the defender on your backside hip and go up and attack it at the highest point. Your ability to finish at the catch point, yeah, the the hands are important, but the ball skills to me uh, are the third most important trait that I'm looking for in that X receiver. Uh, What's the third for you? Yeah, that's a great one there. I was obviously thinking about that, but I want ball skills out of every, you know, every position in the receiver room. So I was trying to find something more specialized for this X position, this isolation receiver. And my preference is I need size in this position because size typically comes with weight, typically comes with strength, typically comes with length. So that's going to help in every aspect of the receiver position, whether it's the strength to get off the line of scrimmage, the strength and the the weight and the size in your route stems, and then just the size of being able to uh, maybe impose a smaller cornerback, use you know your back and your size as a shield. It helps with catch radius and the ability to maybe uh, complete an off-target throw from the quarterback. When you have these small receivers that are in the X position that are maybe a little bit smaller, twitchy, fast, you have to remember, they're just physically smaller. Physically, the radius is smaller. I know they can get themselves open better than the larger receivers. Obviously, 
you know, in kinesiology and physiology, the bigger guys aren't going to be as twitchy and uh, be able to get open as much as the smaller guys. But I just like the size in my X receiver. So the weight, the strength, the radius, the length, I think that all kind of helps with what I'm asking him to do. I think that that's actually the way that you phrased that last part is actually a perfect way for me to segue um, <laughs> into what I feel separates the elite from the good at this position. And I think like, all right, who are the best X receivers in the NFL? And obviously, you know, your mind immediately goes to Julio Jones. You look at DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, um, you know, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, I would throw in there. You and I are big fans of Adam Thielen and his skill set. To me, like, it's the big-bodied guys that are, don't move like big-bodied guys. Like, no one thinks of Allen Robinson as a big-bodied receiver, right? No one really thinks of Adam Thielen as a big-bodied receiver because of the way they get in and out of breaks. Julio Jones, like, the way that he can get out of a – whether it's a speed cut, a deep dig, like, the way that he gets in and out is just so, like, jaw-dropping. And, and Hopkins isn't quite that, but he's, just, he's so good that he, like, kind of makes up for it uh, in some other ways. But, like, Mike Evans moving the way that he does at, you know, 6'4", you know, 215 or 217, whatever he is, like – that like that's crazy stuff like that you know that's what makes dk metcalf like so impressive right is that he's just he's an alien in the way that he moves and that's to me what like separates the the elite from the good at the x spot is just how you know you, you just said the size like it's the guys that are so big but then match that with the athleticism the technique and the hand the you know the ability to finish it's almost like going back to what we talked about what makes the elite uh, interior defense, the, the three techniques. It's the guys that could win with um, with power, with quickness and technique. I kind of view it the same way with the, the X receivers. It's like the guys that can win in multiple ways at a really high level, those are the guys that are top, you know, top shelf. I just gave a big fist pump because that last line was exactly what I said. Guys to win and be dominant in multiple areas. Mm-hmm. And everything you were saying there was the three tech was the, the trait and the trait and the trait and yep. the trait. So it's having the multiple dominant areas. So when we're talking about the receiver, the X spot, are you, you know, dominant in a yards after catch sense? You get a lot of, you know, maybe off coverage in the X and you get an RPO alert just to go make your guy miss. It's a one-on-one situation. The vertical element to be able to get off the line, hit top speed, know how to track and stack and all those vertical nuances, the hands, the catch point, contested catch situations, the blocking. Grant, how much 22 personnel do you see around the NFL? What does that mean? one receiver on the field where have we seen in the nfl that receiver sometimes is your just just your best blocker out there yep so having all those different dominant areas to get yourself on the field uh and to be able to win in in a variety of areas i think is a obviously what separates the good the average from those elite playmakers like you said whether it's you know the julios and the hops and the Devontae adams of the world and odell beckhams and I just want to like talk about some case studies for a second because mm. this is such an interesting conversation just to have at the bar, you know, with your buddy and a beer. And, you know, just thinking back when you're saying there's good players, but you're not an X receiver. And I love talking about where that puts people in the draft and whether it's DJ Moore coming out of, yep. um, out of Maryland. A lot of people didn't see him as an X receiver. Does that mean he's not a first round pick or Debo Samuel? He's not an X receiver. He's not used like an X receiver. He is one of the best receivers in the NFL, but he's not an X and you shouldn't use him like an X. Or you go back to like Tavon Austin, first round pick. He was used like an X and misused for the early part of his career and essentially wasn't put in a position to be successful. And there's so many different kind of ways to, to view this style of receiver. Um, and how you project them and where that draft capital gets allocated. And this thing, it's a really kind of nuanced uh, discussion. 
those are the kind of discussions I love having here on the show. Um, my last question for you is this. Who are the guys that we've seen so far in this class that best represent what we're talking about here with the skill set to be a real X receiver? Well, I immediately go to situations. It's third and five. You're in the isolation spot. I need you to win on a slant for me. So yep. that's, you know, the guys I trust to go do that. Jamar Chase's of the world, yep, 100%. you know, Rashad Bateman's of the yep. world. Um, I'm starting to think, can I put some of these twitchy slot receivers in this situation, whether it's a Shy Smith or an Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney as some of the twitchiest inbreakers in the class. But this goes right back to the conversation I was just talking about. DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Tavon Austin, those types of bodies. Are you going to ask him to win in an isolation sense on third and five outside the numbers against big six, one press corners. And that's when you really have to think about, is he an X receiver? Is he a slot receiver? He's just a gadget guy. Uh, so the Jamar chases, the Batemans of the world are probably the ones I'm putting in that spot. First and foremost, the, the other guy, you know, cause Rashad Bateman is the guy that gives me the most juice, you know, in terms of like, obviously Jamar chase, but in terms of like that next group um, for that spot, like I, I really, I love Rashad Bateman. The other guy that I just feel like can be in that discussion, and I, I'm still kind of going back and forth of whether or not he's a big slot or whether he can be the X, is Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Like, I, the more I watch him, I'm like, man, like, all right, like he, he's got the ability to fight through the jam. You know, he, do, he doesn't lose his landmark. He doesn't get stuck at the line of scrimmage. I think he's really efficient early in the down, and he, he understands how to attack leverage both inside and outside. So I'm like, all right, like, he's a smart player, and he's a big-bodied kid. He's 6'3", 215, and I think he plays even bigger than that. He's just not, like, super twitchy, super explosive, kind of a, a one-speed guy, not a ton of snap out of breaks, but he's great at the catch point, and he's really efficient pre-catch. So, like, Sage Surratt is the other guy that I'm like, I, I think he could play X uh, at some point. I'm, I'm excited to actually dive even more, dive even deeper uh, into his film from last year and really kind of come to that conclusion. But uh, I liked what I saw from Sage Surratt last year. So he's another guy. I, I saw, yeah, I wrote down Jordy Nelson. Now, Jordy had the track speed. Sage has the basketball background, yep. both elite athletes away from the football field. Um, but Jordy, in the same sense, I think his speed was a little bit more deceptive on the field. He really hit that extra gear once he got into the second and third level. Surratt, too, but a guy that's smart, really good in contested catches. He led the ACC last year with catches for first down. So he was yep. a guy that Jamie Newman looked to on third down, and, and he uh, you know produced quite a bit for him. No question. Well, Ben, this was a fun discussion, man. Uh, thanks once again for jumping on. We'll talk to you early next week with, uh, with Dane Brewer. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy. Jim, uh, welcome back to the show, man. Take us through uh, what this unique fall season has been like for you. Well, we, last time you were on a couple months ago, we talked about how different it was going to be uh, with everything going on with COVID-19. Let's do a little bit of a check-in. What's it been like now for you and your staff over these last couple of months? Uh, yeah, good to be back on, Fran. It's, uh, it's been different, uh, for sure. You know, and the big, I guess the biggest difference would be that we're not out at as many games this year. Um, you know, there's just not the value in it if we're not down on the field. That's really, uh, as you know from, from following us on social media, uh, we like to be at the games and, and take those pre, pre-game videos of the players and really helps us connect with those guys from like a recruiting aspect. Um, let them know we're interested in them, you know, and then just talk to, talk to our coaching friends, um, get some information from them on the field and, and also our, our guys around the NFL and, and talk to different scouts and kind of pick their brains on things they're seeing. So 
um, yeah, I guess the biggest difference is we're just not out of as many games, but it, it has afforded us the opportunity uh, to be back in the office more and watch, watch even more tape. Uh, last question I've got for you about just the process before we talk about some of these players is, uh, you know, with COVID-19 affecting so many college football seasons, a lot of teams not even able to play. What's that been like for you in terms of, I know you obviously you're talking with people all around the NFL and, you know, they're giving their input on the players that they would like to see in Mobile. Is there a little bit more emphasis from, from your contacts on guys that aren't playing this year that, hey, this is our last chance to really get, to, get a chance to see them? We haven't seen them play for, for 10, 11 months. Uh, or is it kind of business as usual from that side? I think the biggest thing, Fran, is just really managing the roster right now yeah. in terms of invites that go out. Um, you know, we really got to really mindful of the guys out West, mostly the, the, you know, the Mountain West and the Pac-12 guys and the Mac just got started up. So, you know, we, we need to give those, those players an opportunity to, to rise up and, and, you know, really play their way in as seniors. I mean, senior year should mean something. So, uh, we don't want to invite all these guys off 2019 tape. I mean, they've all worked hard. You know, all these players have put in 12 months of, of getting bigger, faster and stronger. Um, so those guys that are getting canceled out in the Pac-12 and um, you, you never know when they're going to play, like we, those guys need a chance. So mm. we just want to make sure we're not inviting, over-inviting right now and letting this season play itself out and, and give, give all those players out there an opportunity. That makes sense. Uh, let's get into some of these players now and talk about uh, some of the guys that, are, that have already accepted invites. You know, this is, a, this is a league we cite all the time here on this show and in our other podcasts, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, the NFL, a league of big plays. Is there a guy on offense that's heading to Mobile already that uh, you think is just a, a big play waiting to happen at any position offensively? Uh, yeah, there, there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would say Kadarius Tony would be the biggest one, yet Kadarius yeah. hasn't, hasn't officially accepted his invite yet. Um, so we're kind of waiting on that when he's a Mobile guy. I've been watching Kadarius play since his freshman year in high school um, at Blunt High School here in Mobile. Um, but the, of the guys that have accepted, I would say uh, Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State mm. in terms of, you know, not only can Tylen make big plays on the ball, like you talk about big plays going up in 50-50 situations, but he's also a big run, run after catch guy. So um, he's really an interesting prospect in the sense that you know, if you just go off with the school lists him at those listed measurables, we don't have anything verified yet, but they list him at six foot 185. Um, God, he plays bigger than that. He plays faster than whatever people think he's probably going to run too. Um, he's just one of those guys. He's just a really good football player. So uh, making plays on the ball and making plays after the catch, I would say Tylen Wallace. A lot of similarities in my mind between Tylen and, and C.D. Lamb, who obviously everybody loved out of the same conference last year. I think that they share a lot of similar traits. Same question for you, but on the defensive side, is there a guy that you feel like just has a knack for creating the big play on defense, whether you're know, talking about sacks and forced fumbles or creating big plays over the middle of the field, uh, down the field? Who is it that can create the big play on D? Uh, I would say Richie Grant, the safety from UCF. Um, you don't you don't see a lot of his name out there a lot right now, but I think by the time we we get out of Senior Bowl week and the closer we get to April, you're going to be hearing it a lot. Um, he, he's he's a really versatile safety. You can play him on the post, and he can make a lot of plays there in the back end. He's got range. He's got really good ball skills, and and more than that, he, he's really got a knack. He's got like an opportunistic knack making him you know, in, in big situations. Um, and he's not just a center fielder type because he will come downhill hard and he'll fill and he'll run alleys um, and he'll hit you. So he's, 
he is to me the best safety prospect, senior safety prospect in this class. Hmm. Um, when you talk about just the physical talent, the tools, um, and then the instincts in the game, um, Richie Richie's a playmaker. He's a he is a real playmaker. Yeah, we talked about him earlier this week, and this guy he will come down and smack you for sure. He's he's one of the hardest hitters uh, in this the secondary group. We talked a couple months ago when you came on about about the quarterbacks, and I remember specifically talking to you about Texas's Sam Ellinger and Florida's Kyle Trask. Both those guys now committed, headed to Mobile. I know you're excited to see both of them. Um, what have you seen from both of those guys so far this fall, and what are you hoping to see from them down there in late January? Yeah, I'd start with Kyle. Um, I think the biggest thing with Kyle Trask is, uh, you know, he's taken, he's taken the next step. So he was our highest graded senior quarterback over the summer. Um, and he's, he's done nothing to relinquish that spot. Um, he, he really, he did a lot of great things that last year as a first year starter, first year starting since his 10th grade year in high school, just from a toughness and a poise um, perspective, feel for the pocket, um, just really an instinctive player. But his accuracy, he's, he's really improved his accuracy. I mean, it was good last year. It's, it's like a whole different level this year. Hmm. The guy's just putting it where he wants to put it. Um, and I've said this to the guys in the office, that he'd be a fun guy to sit down with during the pre-draft process if you're an NFL team and, and kind of get in his head and what he's thinking on some of these reads because there's some place where it looks like he's making some questionable decisions, forcing the ball. I'm just kind of of the mind that he's so supremely confident of his ability to place it where he wants it um, that he's taking those, you know, he's taking those chances because he knows he can get the ball where he wants to put it. So, um, you know, and what what you want to see from Kyle down here is is just I want to see more of the the person. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's pretty an even even keel guy. Um, you know, he doesn't show you a lot on the field, and, and it, I haven't been able to see Kyle play live this year. Um, saw him play live a couple times last year. But I wasn't really zeroed in on him last year because he wasn't, you know, available for our game. So I'd just like to see what kind of leader he is and be around the guys. And then, uh, you know, back to, to Sam Ellinger, I think that the most impressive thing with me for, for Sam this year is that it, it hasn't always been clean. Um, you know, he lost Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson last year, who both were in the Senior Bowl. Um, he's had to adjust to a, a younger group of wideouts. Um, so things haven't been perfect, but he's found a way. You know, the guys found a way to lead his team and move his team. And that's, that's such an underrated aspect of playing quarterback. Like it hasn't always been pretty, but, but he's found a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, he's played so much football there. And again, with Sam, I think he's coming into the week where, you know, people will poke holes at some of this, you know, passing skill set stuff. Um, and I hate to like, I'm not big on the comp thing, player comp thing, unless, you know, it all lines up. I think that, you know, the guys in the NFL use that comp stuff a lot less than, than the guys in the, than people in the media do. Um, but I do think he's in a similar situation as like Jalen Hurts was last year. Yeah. And then going back to Dak Prescott, you know, Dak was a guy that, you know, you really love both those guys. You love the leadership. You love the toughness. You love the athlete. Um, big, sturdy, strong, both those guys. So I think there's similarities. And, you know, Dak proved himself down here. The Cowboys kind of fell in love with him. You know, being around him that week, he, they were coaching the other team, but they spent a lot of time around Dak. Um, and then I think we all saw Jalen last year. Most teams had him in the fourth, fifth round coming into the pre-draft process and had a great week down here, threw it well, you know, threw, threw it well at the combine again and ends up as whatever he was, the 51st pick in the draft. So um, it'll be interesting to see where, where Sam can take this thing because I do think there's, there's comparisons to both those guys. 
And then the last question, I know you got to get out of here real quickly. Who's a guy that's climbed up the board most, that's accepted to the game already? Who has helped themselves the most with the way they've played this fall? Um, I'll give you four names. Um, you know, just going across the board, starting at running back. I would say Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina, we got an acceptance from last night. He was more of a, a later day three guy for us. And uh, man, making our, our calls around the league, you know, trying to get this first wave of invites going. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising if Michael Carter's moved himself all the way into, into day two draft pick. Um, yeah. You know, conservatively right now, I think most teams would probably have him early day three. So he's done a great job. You know, UNC's done a really nice job featuring him in, in both the run and the pass games. Royce Newman on the offensive line from Ole Miss, who's playing right tackle for, for, for uh, Lane Kiffin right now, um, but probably projects more as a guard, but really versatile, really smart. Um, he's a hot guy in the league right now on the offensive line. Peyton Turner, the defensive lineman from Houston, has moved up farther than anyone on the board. Um, we had him at our lowest draftable grade last year, and he was playing with a couple busted hands. Um, you know, he had like all these ligament damage and broken fingers and whatnot. And uh, he's really taken the next step. He, is, he has been really disruptive um, when Houston's been able to play this year. And then the last guy at corner would be Rodarius Williams um, at Oklahoma State. He's a guy that has really taken his game to the next level in terms of confidence and focus and just looking a lot more comfortable in coverage. Um, no panic at all. He's doing a better job finishing on the ball. Um, so I'd say those four guys have really, really helped themselves. Without a 2020 season, they probably wouldn't have gotten an invite. And, uh, you know, with 2020 tape, they were, they were pretty easy decisions. Well, Jim, this has been awesome, man. Really appreciate the time once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We'll talk again soon before we hit down to Mobile. All right, Fran. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on again. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, back again for another segment of Pick 6 here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA, my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, this is one of my favorite parts of the show where I get to tell you how much better I did than you this past week. Yeah, you know what? Oh, what? Really? You did? I, I mean, okay. Well, let, give me give me the breakdown. So I, I picked up uh, two the, the two games that you picked up on me last week. I took back from you this week. Um, I took Wisconsin. You took Michigan to try and come off the Schneid here. Oh uh, my gosh, that yeah, was terrible. That, that was a mistake. And then uh, the other the other one that was very close was, um, and this was actually a fun one to kind of track was the Tulsa SMU game. Uh, I took the Tulsa margin of victory. They ended up winning by four. You took the amount of impact plays from the, the stud linebacker, Zayvon Collins. Uh, I think it was like sacks, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and picks. He had three of them. So you just needed one more to push, but he ended up with three. I had the margin of victory of four. So those were the two games uh, I picked up on you last week. But uh, we had a couple close ones, though, on the back end of it as well. Got it. All right. Well, I'll make up for it this week again. All right, well, let's get into it. The first one, we're going to go straight pick them here. We've got three pick them, two over-unders, and then our upset special at the end. Uh, the first pick them is actually going to be a Friday night game here, Ross, in the Big Ten, Purdue versus Minnesota. How do you like this one going? I'm going Purdue. Uh, you know, and I, never would I thought I would have said this before the year, especially with Rondell Moore not playing in a game yet this year. But Minnesota's having some issues this year. I feel like uh, – Row the boat is taking on water. I'll go with the Boilermakers, which I feel like should not happen. But, I, you know, the way these teams are playing this year, I'm going to go Purdue. Yeah, I, I actually – I thought about going with Minnesota with the same reason that you went with Purdue – or with uh, Michigan last week where it's like, all right, like 
they're due. They're gonna they're gonna bounce back from this. But I, I to me, like I, I look at Purdue and I'm like, all right, well, they're a, a half game away from being undefeated right now. Uh, you know, even though they they haven't had Rondell Moore, uh, David Bell, who's the true sophomore, 6'2", 210 pounds. He was the Big Ten Offensive Freshman of the Year last year. I mean, he's lighting it up. They're getting pretty good quarterback play. Uh, I think when you look at overall this Purdue offense, uh, they're holding up their end of the bargain. They're they're getting plays defensively. Minnesota just has not been able to put it together right now. I mean, you just even just watch PJ Fleck after the game after the game the other night, and I mean, you just like everything went wrong. Like they couldn't run the ball. Uh, turnovers, penalties were terrible. Um, they just haven't been able to get Rashad Bateman going. So it's been tough sledding uh, for the Gophers. So I will side with you here, and I will go with Purdue. Let's go to the next one here in the SEC. LSU versus Arkansas. Who do you like in this one? I'm going to go with the Hogs. Mm. Uh, there's a couple different reasons why. Reason number one is the long layoff for LSU. I mean, that that is less than ideal. We've seen other teams struggle with it. I think, frankly, it's one of the reasons why Army struggled with Tulane. They hadn't played in three weeks because yeah. Air Force had canceled their game after the bye. I, I just don't think that that's healthy or natural or good for teams. So LSU has the long layoff, number one. And then number two, you're talking about an Arkansas team that just got hammered by Florida. I think they bounce back from that. I think Arkansas gets it done. Arkansas has been like my darling this year in the SEC. I've picked them a couple times. I think I picked them for a couple of upset specials. I've picked them against you in some uh, some pickups this year. They've had some close calls. They, I mean, they sh- their record should be better than it is. But I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go LSU here, and I, I feel like this is a little bit of a bounce back game for LSU, even though they haven't played in a couple of weeks. Look, they've had a, they've had a, obviously a, a huge scandal on campus with you know what what has gone on in the athletic department down there um, over the last few years. And, and that's a whole separate issue. But uh, obviously I think when you look at uh, Ed Orgeron, he'll have this group ready to play. I think that there's going to be a little bit extra motivation, a little bit extra juice uh, from that locker room. It's a young team an unproven team. Um, but I think you look at guys like Terrace Marshall, uh, one of the bigger, better game breakers in the sec. I like him in this matchup uh, to have a big day. So uh, I'll, I'll take the Bayou Bengals here to kind of get a bounce back. and I'll go separate from you on this one. Third pick them. This is a fun one in the AAC. Cincinnati, who has been, you know, they're a top 10 team uh, at this point under Luke Fickle versus the other AAC team that has always been in the national spotlight over the last half decade, and that's UCF, the Golden Knights, having a little bit of a down year, but this should be a close one here between the, the Bearcats and the Knights. You know, um, it should be. I did two UCF games last year. They are as fast as anybody in college football in terms of how quickly they snap the football but this Cincinnati team on a mission, dude. I mean, this Cincinnati team is legit. I think they are one of the five or six best teams in the country. I really do. I think that they should be in the college football playoff. Mm. And I think they'll prove it yet again against UCF. I think they win by double digits. You think Luke Fickle is uh, big, big 10 next year? You think he's somewhere, uh, somewhere not in Cincinnati a year from now? Well, the, the question is where yeah. or when? I mean, you're talking about a guy – that could have had the Michigan State job. Yeah. And he didn't want it because why would you want to go to Michigan State when you're in the same division as Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State? You're just you're never going to get the same recruit that those other three get. So I don't know, man. I mean, I'm sure he'll take a job at some point, but it's going to have to be one where it's realistic to be a consistent winner. If he didn't like Michigan State, which ones is he going to like? Mm. 
No, it's a it's a valid point. I'll, I think he'll be he's being smartly. He's being very picky about it because uh, you don't want to just jump up as fast as possible. I think you know following like the tree of like what Brian Kelly did. Um, you know, kind of jumping from place to place, but calculated. I, I think that's interesting there uh, with Luke Fickle, who's. I mean, look, his interim year as that Ohio State head coach, he goes undefeated. And it obviously gets unseated by Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer. But uh, it, it'll be very interesting to follow him moving forward. Let's get to the next one here in our first over-under. 45-and-a-half receiving yards for Indiana's Watt Filer. Now, he is going up against Ohio State. Uh, speaking of Ohio State, uh, the number two team in the country. What do you think here? Indiana going up against uh, the Buckeyes. And Watt Filer, 45-and-a-half receiving yards over-under. Yeah, I'm going to go over. I do think this is a high-scoring game. I do think that Ohio State wins the game by a couple scores, which means Indiana will be playing catch-up. Indiana will be playing – will be throwing the football. And I think WAP ends up getting – even if it has to be garbage time, I think he gets it. So I'm going to go the under here. And the reason why is that while Filer has been a really productive player for them over the course of the last couple of years – They've got a senior this year in Ty Frothogel who is absolutely ripping it up. He had like 200 yards in the first half last week against Michigan State. I just look at this kid and I say, all right, like he is getting so much of the big-time yardage. If they're going to be throwing it all over the yard trying to keep pace with Ohio State, I got to think the senior is going to be a big part of that. So I will take the under here uh, in the Indiana-Ohio State game. Let's go to the next one here. This was an interesting one going out west. 99-and-a-half all-purpose yards, so rushing and receiving. For UCLA running back Demetric Felton against Oregon, what do you like here in this one? I'm going to go under. And I'm going to go under because this isn't Cal anymore. Uh, our buddy Chip Kelly comes out and says, yeah, we ran the no huddle and kept running it in the second half because I knew that the D lineman would be out of shape because they were laid off for a couple weeks. That's not happening with Oregon, not with their depth. Oregon's going to win the game. Oregon's going to have the lead. So UCLA is going to be trying to come from behind, and Felton's not going to get there. I know you know this already, but, like, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, dude, he is an absolute freak show. Like, the Eagles are getting ready to play Miles Garrett. Like, Thibodeau is, like, that kind of – like, he's, like, freaky, freaky kind of player uh, on that defensive line for Oregon. Um, I'm going to take the over here, though, with Felton, especially just because of the receiving aspect of it. You know, you imagine uh, Thibodeau getting after uh, the quarterback. They've got to find out – they find ways to get the ball out fast – Felton there in the flat, flat and Felton over the middle with those some of those Texas routes, uh, wheel routes on those mesh plays in that UCLA offense. Uh, I'll take Felton here uh, with the over in this game. But I, kind of what you were thinking with Wap Filer, I kind of feel like a lot of that will come in garbage time through the air. So I like uh, Demetric Felton on the over against the Ducks. Uh, last one, let's go with our upset special here. Pick one big upset uh, to win here this weekend. You're going to love this one. Maybe you don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I am going – with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights to beat the Michigan Wolverines. It will be absolute rock bottom for Michigan, and this will end up being Jim Harbaugh's last year as head coach of the Wolverines if they lose this football game. Last year or last game? Last year. They wouldn't fire him after the game, but last year. I would agree with you that that would be that would be rock bottom. Uh, you know, and interesting that you go from uh, picking Michigan last week to now picking them to lose to Rutgers. That's uh, a, a quite the turnaround. This is here. a spite pick. It's a spite <laughs> pick by me. <laughs> so I'm going to go uh, down to the SEC. 
Tennessee and Auburn. I'm gonna like. I like the Volunteers here. Tennessee. They've lost three straight. They were one of the hottest teams to close college football last year. I think they won six straight to end the season down there in the SEC. They won their bowl game as well. They're coming off a week off. So is Auburn. Auburn missed their game because of um, uh, a COVID uh, cancellation with Mississippi State. But Auburn has some players on the COVID list themselves, though. And so I look at this. All right, they're they're a little bit shorthanded. We don't know who's in and who's out with them at this point. But I'm, I'm going to kind of bank on the Tennessee bounce back here and see if they can kind of get things going. They've had some tough losses over the last month. Uh, we'll see if the Vols can get things going here. They've got um, some playmakers on defense, really at all three levels. I mean, that, that defense, uh, when you look at some of the guys that they've got uh, on that unit, again, at all three levels, I think when you look at Jeremy Pruitt and uh, what he's been able to do in terms of his developing uh, of that group, They've got guys I know that the Senior Bowl is taking a look at. I know that, uh, you know, the people are going to be buzzing about this guy, DeAndre Johnson. When I've watched them on film, he is buzzed every single time. I'm like, oh, there, there goes Johnson again. There goes Johnson again. There goes Johnson again. He's fast off the ball. He is disruptive. Uh, he is the pass rusher off the edge. So keep an eye on, Den- on Tennessee's DeAndre Johnson to get after Bo Mix and or Bo Nix and get disrupt that passing game. So I'll, I'll take the Vols here uh, in the upset. Ross, uh, I'm five games up on you. We'll see if uh, you can gain a little ground on us uh, here this week here in college football. Yeah, I need it. I mean, you study it more than I do, so you should have the lead on me, but I still <laughs> think I can make a comeback. You've seen all these guys since they were like in middle school. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Well, hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Great stuff from Ross Tucker, from Jim Nagy, and of course from Ben Fennel. Ben will be back early next week with Dane. We'll be talking about everything we saw here uh, this weekend in college football. We've got a bunch more Senior Bowl announcements that we'll go through. I'm sure there will be at least a dozen more from the time I'm even recording this up through late Monday. So uh, we'll cover all of that next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.